Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Hey, and welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. Today's show, grief. It's a mother flubber. Segment two, five true stories about military paranormal activities. And we'll close with news and social media nuggets. So it's the 13th of June, year of our Lord, 2017. And I just want to say, I love you all. I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that in a real way, because I've been looking at the stats lately. And it appeared not a lot of people were listening. It's summer. I was thinking, you don't put out too many podcasts. People can't keep up with all this stuff because... For me, it's cathartic. It's like a hobby. Gives me something to do. I put out these podcasts. Don't talk about politics as much to my wife. And since I don't watch the root news anymore, you know, this is kind of my political life. This is the two to three hours I sit and record and I can put out all those things that annoy me. So the way things worked out this week, I was going to be able to do three podcasts. The wife's on the road, so she's not going to be home until, uh, Wednesday, and I go, well, you know, I got Saturday, and I, oh, I'll do a podcast today, but maybe I shouldn't. And then I look at the stats. Then I look at the stats. During this podcast, you're going to hear animals, you're going to hear cats, you're going to hear my phone, because once again, the wife's on the road, and of course, the animals, I, if I don't leave this door open, they're going to make enough noise that you're going to hear them anyway. So, I look at the stats, 100 and 27 plays in the last 24 hours. 183 in the last seven days. That is awesome. That is insane. I want to give a shout out to the Russian Federation, Germany, Canada, Singapore, Netherlands, Africa again, Marshall Islands, San Francisco. You're still sticking with me. You're doing about 40 listens a week. So I don't know if you're part of the Antifa or the resistance and you hate me, but either way, keep on listening. I love you. You can hate me, but I'll still love you. So I just wanted to say thank you. You guys gave me a second win to keep on podcasting. I guess it's not too many because everybody catches up eventually and I'll keep on yelling in my mic. So we're going to start a new segment called closing the loop. You'll hear a sound effect that'll be our closing the loop stage. And on the back side of this, you're going to hear another staging video from CNN's infamous pro-Muslim stopping the Islamist bullcrap that we talked about a couple podcasts ago where they just staged people, made a totally fake video, and here's another angle of it. So this is looking up Borough High Street. See where the big, tall, spiky building the shard is. That's pretty much where the attack happened. Um, it's a bit in the middle of the road. It's usually a crossroad, and all the media has gathered here. You can see the flowers put down, and here we see the moderate Muslim being first one interviewed, and the guy watching him. Um, sorry for my bad camera work. 
this guy watching him, checking everyone else out. Uh, some white people at the protest with the Turn to London posters. And yeah, you see there's more press than absolutely anyone else. The police doing nothing to control the traffic or, or keep people out of the way, really. Uh, this is looking down by a high street further up, and you see all of the Muslim priests here talking to a rabbi outside the church. And these are the Muslim women who were featured on the CNN broadcast. So just doing a little rehearsal with each other there. They're, you know, they're not having a, a memorial. They're taking some selfies. And you note, none of them have got flowers. There's the kid that was in the front. Uh, this is back at the top of Borough, or halfway down Borough High Street. Um, more moderate Muslims. And all the white people here with the flowers and bags of flowers to later hand out, as we'll see. This is the turn to love that they're, or turn to love for London. And all the press sending up, getting ready. Notice this faggot has terrible trousers. <laughs> um, yeah, they've all got the flowers in the bags just here. They're starting to hand them out. You see, this guy's already been given his. He didn't have some earlier. And, and these two are the turn to love with flowers and carrier bags to hand out for the footage. Um, so this was taken, I was there just before. And you see again, this is the group of women and the little boy. They're just getting their posters now, just being handed out. And they'll be going across now. And this is where you see them on all of the fake news with their little protests. They're just setting up a little for a nice photo shoot there with the children. The police have let them through the police cordon. So this is right up to the police cordon. Um, the attack happened maybe 500 meters a kilometer this way. All of them gathered around for the press. All of the press gathered around just to, just to see this. And this, this footage wasn't filmed by me. It was filmed by someone else. Um, so yeah, this is, this is where they all were. Um, on the other side, across the road, they've set up their own camera, I guess, for their own propaganda purposes. Um, they turn to love, turn to, for London, for Baghdad, for Istanbul. And these posters here, the turn to love posters they put up, that's Tower Bridge. It's not even, it's not even London Bridge. And that really upsets me. So that's our new little intro music. I made some new bumpers for all this. It's, I found some cool music. So just bear with me. I know it's silly just to add music, just to be adding music, but it makes it feel like a more of a better of a show. So there you got CNN staging it. Another one, breaking Molotov cocktail thrown into restaurant in Auberville, north of Paris. Multiple injuries reported. So once again, we still have terrorists everywhere. Okay. Then we got some crazy stuff that kind of goes along with all the other crazy things we do. The Antifa were on hand to throw piss and brown liquid on people protesting them. So that's that's okay. It's all over the internet. Lauren Southern Luke Radowski was punched in the face. So these Antifa guys, you know, the media is not going to cover them. But, you know, all you hear is alt-right 
but there's some more of the Antifa. Isn't that nice? Tim Pool also. Yeah, you can research all that. You'll have to find it on Twitter because our mainstream media is not going to cover it. If you hear a panting dog in the background, uh, there was a deer in the backyard because I live out in the country, and uh, the huskies went back to the roots and were losing their mind. So much had to bring them in the house because I thought they are going to break the gate down. ABC News, London Police Commissioner says, dig this. If I had a dumbass of a day, this would be the dumbass of the day. Maybe I need to come up with that. London Police Commissioner says nationalities of eight London Bridge victims tell a proud story of the city's diversity. Yeah, no shit. You know you've gone uber-liberal when you're equating the death of people and saying, look how lib- look how diverse they were when they died. Of course, somebody tweeted back, well, how diverse were the killers? Not very diverse. Not very diverse at all. Which leads us into our tweets of the day. Yeah, that's pretty annoying. That's why I grabbed it. Sally Field, sick of hearing actors talk re-politics. Too bad I won't stay silent while politicians attack our rights. She's wearing a stand with Planned Parenthood. Somebody nicely tweeted her. Can you direct me to your tweets standing up for the Second Amendment? I mean, seeing that you're all about defending rights. I freaking hate Hollywood. Alyssa Milano. Hey, Camelia Harris, Senator Feinstein. This is Jenny. She has something to say to you. Here is a litany of stupid shit that this lady tweeted about people on a new website that I will talk about. Hi, my name is Julie, and I live in California. And please, you guys, please do not pass Trump care. Uh, you guys represent us, and most of us rely on Obamacare. We need Obamacare. We need a single-payer type healthcare system. We need a better healthcare system. And by passing Trump Care, you are going to kick millions, millions of sick people who genuinely need health care off of health care because of a pre-existing condition. It's not right. Hey, my name's Tabitha, and I have a mentally ill son who's 14 this year. And if Trump Care passes, he will lose all ability to have any of his medications covered, hospitalization, visits, everything. Trump Care will take away my health insurance, my boy's health insurance, and it makes women a second-class citizen. It takes away women's rights to have health care. Please vote no. Hello. My name is Sharon Stout, and I currently live in Kansas City, Missouri. I am a single woman. I am 30 years old. And due to what is happening in this country right now, I am positively horrified to even think about having children or being in a relationship or being me, as a matter of fact. I have several friends who are gay or transgender. I am not. But the things that you 
are allowing to happen make it so they feel like they should not exist. My sister just had a child 10 weeks early. If she didn't have insurance and she was on Obamacare, he probably wouldn't have survived if you guys have taken it away. It is ridiculous what you are allowing to happen. So I'm urging you and I'm asking you, begging you even, don't let it continue. Don't let it change. Don't take that away. People who want and need medical care, if you take it away, shame on you. And don't give your respect to that person in the White House because they sure don't deserve it. Hello, my name is Allison Young. I live in McAllen, Texas, a border town between uh, Mexico and South Texas. And I'm asking you to please say no to Trump care. As a woman, as a Latina, as a woman with mental health issues, and with friends that are with disabilities, please, please say no. Please, I urge you, say no. So that is from Countable.us. And Countable.us is just another all of a sudden we carry we care about politics because we hate Trump. We lost an election. And so all these people get up there and they talk to their congressmen and it's all liberals and they're all bitching and moaning. And Alyssa Milano, of course, now all of a sudden cares about things because she's not happy with Trump. So she's passing this on, which I'm going to call you all on this. In 2020, when there's a Democratic president and all of you just go back underneath the fucking rock you came from, I'm just going to laugh in your goddamn face. Because the only rights you care about are liberal rights. Not the right to bear arms, not VA, not soldiers, not Christianity. Mm -mm. All that you could give two shits about because it doesn't fit your mantra and dogma and what I like to call cult. ABC Roseanne, this was a tweet to tackle Trump era. At Banff, ABC Entertainment President Channing Dungy says she isn't certain Roseanne Barr will name the U.S. president, but she's going to speak very honestly. Expect comedian Roseanne Barr to tackle Donald Trump and the current reality of ordinary Americans when a revival of her popular sitcom debuts on ABC midseason. ABC Entertainment President, blah, 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 blah. We're going to be tackling some of the topics that are today. The problem is, it won't be as anti-Trump as you're hoping for out there, liberals, because I've read her feed. And uh, she may not like Trump, but she's not like me. She doesn't like your shit either. Summer officially arrives next week, which means it, it was just over one year ago that Secretary of State John Kerry declared effort to phase out refrigerants like those in air conditioners. And it was as important as the fight against ISIS, he said, if not so, because it has ability to literally save lives on planet Earth. It wasn't long after that the Washington Post frosted readers with a piece by Karen Heller asserting that she doesn't need air conditioning and neither should you. Air conditioning has made Americans greedy and silly, she wrote, when they could do without and embrace the sultry, mysterious, and sensual world of armpit stains. Well, the Boston Globe isn't waiting until August to spring into instructional guide on how to live without air conditioning, so they put up how to live without air conditioning. How is the tough question. It's why. 
in there. In China and India, air conditioning sales have poorly been growing up 20% per year. Around the world, air conditioning energy demand is projected to increase vastly over the next decade. According to Stan Cox, author of a 2010 book, Losing Our Cool, air conditioning in the United States already has global warming impacts equivalent to every U.S. household driving extra 10,000 miles a year. Writer Leon Nifak suggests that Americans can learn to adapt to the heat by weaving together techniques from the past, ideas from hot weather countries, presumably including those countries where air conditioning sales have been growing 20%. <laughs> I will guarantee somewhere along the line, the media is going to tell us we all need to stop using air conditioning while they're sitting in an air-conditioned studio. And they go back to their air-conditioned house and they can kiss my air-conditioning ass. To our tweet of the day, it's Catherine Heritage. Listen to this. Committee Chuck Grassley is pressing the FBI Director James Comey on his deputy Andrew McCabe, who critics say had a conflict in the Clinton email probe because his wife received $700,000 from Virginia Democrats for a state Senate race. While the FBI said there was no conflict, Senator Grassley wants to know if McCabe is now handling the Russia probe into the Trump team and whether McCabe also requested physical surveillance, monitoring, or administrative subpoenas known as national security letters. Shannon. Okay, to close up on that one, I don't agree you should fire anybody because it would be the worst thing Trump could ever do. But I just want you to remember, liberals thought because Session met ambassadors, which was scheduled by the Obama administration at the RNC, and met ambassadors the same time Democratic ambassadors did doing his senator job, he should be recluse from Russia. But now you got a guy who donates. It's okie-dokie. It's all okie-dokie. You guys suck. To our hate tweets, George Romos pulls out all the stops in insulting President Trump. As he, as he nears the two-year mark of his ongoing journalistic jihad against Donald Trump, Univision senior news anchor George Romos continued to launch new streams and invectives and apocalyptic characterizations of the American president. President Trump's decision to withdraw from the United States from the Paris Accord is the latest hook for Ramos to attack Trump. He's just taken the United States out of the only treaty that exists so that all our children and the children of our children can live in a more or less, or less stable place. Trump is what happens when ignorance achieves power, Ramos declared, deriding both the president's appeal to American patriotism and his American first policy. His, Trump, racist, sexist, xenophobic, anti-immigrant, anti-environment ideas are dangerous for democracy, for freedom of expression, and the future of the planet! He must be hanging out with Bathtub Boy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he must have just hung out with Bathtub Boy. Our next eight tweets is done by luxury yacht owner. Democrat Muslim shoots up a gay club in Orlando. His father enthusiastically attends a Hillary rally. And Fusion is mad at Mike Pence. I forgot all about that shit, but that's actually true. If you remember, uh, the, the guy who did that, Omar Martins, poppy son, was at Hillary rally. In the front! Because he had brown skin. That's why he was there. They, they didn't even know who the fuck he was. 
So their piece, Mike Pence, who would have hated their Orlando victims in life, tries to use them in death. Because they made a statement. Because he said, never forget the victims. They lost it. And in there, and speaking of prayers, Pence, a vocally evangelical Christian, has a personal and political history checkered with the ardently anti-LGBTQ views, including having called same-sex marriage harbinger of societal collapse, opposing a string of pro-LGBTQ rights bills, promoting gay conversion therapy, and signing into law Indiana's infamous religious freedom bill, whose initial, initial version essentially legalized discrimination at the LGBT community. Mike Pence demonizing LGBTQ people while they're alive and praying for their families after they're gone. Folks, this is just another example. This is just another example of that cult. As hard as you believe there is no God, everybody should be gay, we should never procreate, and every male should become a female because men are bad, others don't agree with you. And so you're attacking a man for saying something. As I said on Fusion Sight, which is waiting moderator appeal, or moderator approval, because they only want liberals over there. This is just derangement syndrome. Had he not said anything, Fusion would have done an article. That he said it, they did an article. And then he said it with all the lingo, the latest lingo, because as we covered on the show, that whole freaking community doesn't know what the hell they want to call people. They got 27 different versions of, of gender. They're just confused. And they got their own fight between cis and turf women. You'd still bitch. You would still bitch. Because you got derangement syndrome. They recognize a day and say a nice thing. You still got a problem with it. And I say unto you, you're the one with the problem. You got a major problem. You just got a problem. But it's nothing compared to NYC Shakespeare in the Park. Sponsored by Chelsea Clinton. Sponsored by The Clintons. Sponsored by Delta, sponsored by Bank O America, and here is the soundbite. Well, a disgusting New York City play depicting the president brutally assassinated, all while being funded with your taxpayer dollars. Yeah, we've been covering this all morning. Here to weigh in, Fox News contributor and town hall political editor Guy Benson. Good morning, Guy. So we'll get some of the facts out here up front. This is Shakespeare in the Park. It's partially taxpayer funded. It also has corporate sponsors. And this play, which is about Julius Caesar, uh, portrays someone who they don't say it's President Trump, but in, in the images, you can tell they're trying to depict someone who looks like President Trump. And all those attacking him and knifing him are uh, either minorities or women. What statement are they making here and how inappropriate is it? Well, it's not a subtle statement, and it's obviously supposed to be Trump. And apparently his wife in the play, the character's wife in the play, has a Slavic accent. So uh, it's very clear what they're doing here. My reaction when I saw this story was threefold. First, this is so incredibly sort of in poor taste that I'm surprised they haven't cast Kathy Griffin, frankly, in the production, uh, because it seems like there would be some synergy there. Uh, secondly, I'm not a big fan, generally, of this 
tendency in America where we're trying to escalate the outrage and the boycotts over speech that we don't like. I think there are certain lines. This is probably right near that line. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm wary of pounding the outrage drum over everything. But finally, and this is the third piece that I'm genuinely curious about. What do liberals like Paul Krugman at the New York Times have to say about this? Because I remember a couple of years ago with that horrible shooting of Gabrielle Giffords, the Democratic Congresswoman in Arizona, mm -hmm. by a schizophrenic who turned out to be yeah. apolitical, just obsessed with her. Uh, Paul Krugman wrote this column and a bunch of liberals echoed this sentiment, which was, this is conservative speech, it's a climate of hate, this is the problem in America. Well, and it's a fair point, and you point out, uh, you point. Point out the, 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 the mental disorder. Uh, Dan Bongino, a for former Secret Service agent, was on earlier warning about just that, that it can inspire uh, others who may be on the verge of a violent act uh, to act in this way. By the way, as far as the uh, corporate sponsors are concerned, uh, Delta is among them, Delta Airlines, among others, American Express, Bank of America. Delta has been actively responding to all of this this morning. Uh, they're concerned. They tweeted this. While Delta is a longtime sponsor of the highly respected public theater, we do not condone this interpretation of Julius Caesar at, at this summer's free Shakespeare in the Park uh, Festival. So they tweeted that this morning. And, Guy, it looks like they're continually uh, addressing those that are concerned on their Twitter page, you can see uh, they're responding to those who are writing well, in. Yeah, because at the end of the day, this is a play put on in Central Park in New York City that very obviously depicts the assassination of a U.S. president, the sitting U.S. president. And I know they say, oh, it's art and there's other messages here and we're being tongue-in-cheek and it's not advocating violence. I understand all of that. But what people sitting there watching is Donald Trump getting stabbed to death, right? Well, yeah. and he's, by he's women and minorities, by the way. All the actors that you see there are women and minorities. The ones doing the stabbing are women right. and minorities. Yeah, I'm sure that's not an accident, right? And sort of all this symbolism here. And you remember when uh, when President Trump uh, continues to push a budget that he says is a taxpayer budget. Uh, this is taxpayer funded. The National Endowment for the Arts and others are sponsors of this. I mean, is, is this not a responsibility for the public to say, if you're going to use our dollars to depict the assassination of our president, we're not going to stand for that. Yeah, and I don't understand, like, I, I'm thinking also back, because you start going in your mind saying, where have I seen things like this before? And I mentioned the Kathy Griffin allusion earlier mm -hmm. in the piece of humor that she did uh, a couple days ago. When President Bush was in office, there was uh, a, a movie that premiered in Cannes in France in which uh, I believe the movie was called The Assassination of a President, and it depicted President Bush being assassinated. And, like, I, I just don't understand what the fixation is with basically assassination porn on yeah. the left where they take figures that they don't like who are still duly elected by the American people in a free country and saying well we're unhappy with what they're doing in policy X Y and Z it's totally chill for us to come out here and show them getting killed because it's art and you just yeah. have to stop and ask and, and I know you don't want to always play whataboutism but if some show depicted Barack Obama mm. as president getting assassinated there would be a massive mm. outcry yep. yeah. All right, right, Guy Benson, thanks for coming this thanks, morning. Guy. Yes, the play depicts Caesar, but Caesar's Trump. Caesar's Trump, and they just assassinated the President of the United States. That was their play. Tell me how many people said bad things about Obama. I just want to remember, because I, I don't remember this many, I hope he dies, plane crashes by Lauren Duca, all the people want, wishing he would die. CNN hoping the plane would crash. How many times will the left 
dream, depict, and portray the assassination of a president. Decapitate his head. Yet a rodeo clown wearing Obama was un-American. You freaking people. To top it off, his Donald Trump star of fame on the Hollywood Walk of Fame was de- 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 defaced by refuse fascism stickers. Maxine Water led an impeach 45 chant that I was going to play, but I'm not going to do it. And then there was the intersection of AF, Black Lives Matter, stops a quality march because gay cops are racist. Hey, hey, ho, ho, these racist cops have got to go. They just shut that thing down this week, which I once again want to forfeit. All you hear is that the rights messed up, and you got the Tea Party, and you got the Freedom Caucus, and you got the Trumpers. It's a total mess. Yeah, you guys can't even have just one day for each cause. You got to throw them all in there. Dogpile that shit. Uber hate this week went out to Van Jones. Sympathy for white men dying from opioid abuse isn't quite resonating with libs. So Bernie Sanders is the headliner at some people's summit in Chicago. About 4,000 progressives got together with Linda Sassar, Danny Glover, and all the big people that freaking hate everything about America that isn't their America. So Yamichi Alcindor, emotions are definitely still raw. People summoned at least one Bernie Sanders fan started crying when I asked about the 2016 election. Once again, you know my theory on that, boys and girls. You want to ask why Hillary's not present? Go talk to Bernie supporters. They didn't show up. But then Van Jones got out there unloading on 2016 Den campaign a billion dollars. And they set it on fire. A billion dollars for consultants. Hillary Clinton didn't spend money on white working class or black people. They spent it on themselves. With allies like Van Jones, who needs enemies? Sit on his ass in comments. Never seen it actually work. Sell out to CNN. Yeah, 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 yeah. Another one, sounds like a Sanders and Sanders and Nina Turner, Linda Sassar, Van Jones, all at a hate Hillary fest again. Shameful. I, Van Jones 68, want Hillary to go away. He can start by keeping her name out of his slanderous mouth. But that wasn't the worst part, all right? He said where Trump won, pain was there and progressives were not. The life expectancy of white men is dropping. The moment he did that, you know people were going to, Come unglued. You mean like the pain the black community has always been facing? White men are sometimes unfairly the punching bags of liberals while their life expectancy rates are getting shorter, which is actually true. All of it's true. He's right. The universe where problems don't exist until white people experience them, a white person said. Like the opioid crisis, suddenly it's a disease and solution and care must be found immediately. I used to have so much respect for you, Van Jones. You've been chipping away at that bigger chunks lately. Mmm. Did you actually hear my remarks? Or are you basing on reaction on a tweet? There's no evidence of any of this coonery. Somebody said coonery. They racially slurred him because he took up for white people. Another, the resistance. When white men's life expectancy is as low as black men's, maybe we will have more sympathy. 
Maybe their lives are getting shorter because they can't compete with women or POC rise. We take their jobs. Man up. We aren't stopping. Van Jones has been around Jeffrey Lords too long. Wait, what? As a white person, I could say they're eating bad, drinking too much, and using drugs. No one told them to do that. That guy's living in his freaking white shame. <laughs> Cat agreed. I'm going to save my sympathy for someone else. What the fuck is he talking about? A journalistic, dishonest, out of context tweet for attention. Gross misrepresentation of Van Jones. I found one positive. Oh, and somebody says he's trying to build a bridge, apparently not allowed on tribal Twitter. And that's true. But he's right. The fact is, I'm sorry I'm drinking, it's hot as balls in the South today. We are the brunt of everything wrong for the left. Me, white guy, chubby, balding. We're horrible. We're horrible human beings. And you think I'd stop with the hate tweets now, right? No. Cruel liberals viciously attack Baron Trump again, and you won't believe why. He stepped off a plane. He's got a fidget spinner. Baron with a fidget spinner. Maybe there, there's one for Trump. We all know he needs one. Fuck Baron Twilight looking ass and fuck his fidget spinner built ass daddy. That is at retro raider. That's, that's what he said about a kid. People trying to say stop picking on a kid. Fidget spinners are for anxiety. Kittle needs something stronger than that. Millennia Trump and Baron moving to the White House. Baron looks how we, the majority, feel. What the fuck is wrong with you? He's a kid. You guys attack kids. What is wrong with you? God. So I'm lumping them in with our... Fuck it. Motherfucker of the day. Lauren Duca again. Santa isn't white, but the devil, devil definitely is. This is all over the craziness because Megan Kelly interviewed Alex Jones and the right or the left lost it. Well, some on the right did too because he was called a conservative and he's not to the conservatives, supposedly. They don't call him a conservative. Um, I think he's a freaking kook, but all the same, I went to her feed. Dear haters, flipping off the camera. Every picture I could find on her, her, her Twitter account is flipping off the camera. Shout out to everyone who has sent along positivity since the anti-electual potato had announced my 2028 presidential win. Tucker Carlson, get some rest, hack. I have some fire tweets coming. Thank you, Hillary Clinton, for this and for everything. I promise to keep fighting that we covered on the last thing. But there's actually an article. She cried. And then she then recycled the crashing plane for Tucker Carlson. But the tweet that got me is, it sums up the left. Just sums up the left. The summer's hottest blockbuster is the fall of American democracy. And I once again assert, I've done it numerous times on the show, folks, 
If you believe because of one president our country's falling apart, you got fucking serious problems. You're no different than the haters on Obama. Because one president can't break this country down. It's a freaking republic. And they can't accomplish shit by themselves. Yet I never heard any of you say this stuff over Obama when he was doing the very same thing. Executive orders, going around the Constitution, using the Supreme Court to approve gay marriage, which they didn't even have the right to do because it's state rights. I didn't see you. So, you people messing with Barron, and you people who are Warren Duca, you're about to meet Samuel L. Jackson. On the back side of Samuel L. Jackson, you're going to hear Tucker Carlson take down that. If you know, I'll reverse it. Tucker Carlson's going to take down Lauren Duca. We're going to hear Samuel call all you what you freaking are. And then, we're going to hand to our Parker's of the day. You may remember Lauren Duca, a writer for something called Teen Vogue. She came on the show once in December. I was a little snappy with her. She's been milking that appearance ever since. In subsequent months, no kidding, she's been the subject of a fawning New York Times profile. She gave a college commencement address and in general became a lot more famous than her talent would suggest is possible. Well, today, true story, Hillary Clinton herself sent a personal letter to Duca praising her, quote, excellent work for Teen Vogue, along with her courage and poise. We're quoting now, the Internet is not a friendly place for women, Clinton's note says, especially those who aren't afraid to speak their minds in a challenge established systems of power. Now, Hillary Clinton's from a different generation, so we'll give her the benefit of the doubt and assume she's never been on the Internet before. Otherwise, how could she write that? Unfriendly to women? Are you kidding? The Internet is unfriendly to everybody. Trust us. That's what happens when people get to comment anonymously. They're very unfriendly. And no one on the Internet is less friendly than Lauren Duca, irony of ironies, who recently sent a tweet imagining Donald Trump dying in a plane crash and told someone else online to, quote, die in a fire. To Hillary, that's challenging established systems of power. But the most remarkable thing about Lauren Duca is that for a writer, she can barely write. And that's a problem, even for someone paid to produce frothy political propaganda for a kid's magazine. We need to, quote, stop Donald Trump from threatening the sovereignty of an entire religion, she wrote at one point, without bothering to explain how it's possible to threaten a religion's sovereignty. She began another piece this way, quote, the White House vortex of scandal has ratcheted to new heights. Ratcheting a vortex to new heights? Never in the history of language have metaphors been treated so poorly. The frustrating thing is here, there are impressive liberals out there, ones who can think and write clearly, who've got interesting things to say. Lauren Duca is not one of them, but Hillary loves her because she thinks Duca is a victim. And Hillary's not the only one. Every time we mention Duca on this show, she gets more and more famous and more revered on the left. Maybe next week she'll be honored by the Pope and the Dalai Lama. If we mock that, she could get the Nobel Prize for Literature. Fifteen years from now, we could be making fun of President Lauren Duca, assuming that is still legal by then, so we'd better stop. We're making it worse. Our apologies. That's about it for us tonight. Tune in every night at 8 to the show. That
Hypocrisy! Okay, the next one's going to be about Mark Ruffalo. And he starts off our beautiful hypocrisy. You like that bump? Yeah, you got all the news channels. Freaking jackasses. This one's towards MSDNC and NBC. You know you're fucked up when liberals are petitioning you. And they've started a petition. Now, of course, it's fucking hypocritical. Because it's tell MSNBC and CNBC News to stop the white conservative hiring spree. <laughs> this is what it says. After President Obama, Obama won 2008, Fox News did not hire dozens of progressive female, black and brown, young TV personalities in order to speak to the Obama coalition. So why on earth is MSDNC pushing out black and brown voices and filling a network with hardline extreme conservatives? NBC has trouble ties to Trump during the presidential campaign and gave the racist sexual predator a national platform. Now MSDNC, too, is tilting to the right. I can't read it anymore! I can't read it anymore! What fucking show are you talking about? They attacked George Will, Hugh Hewitt, Megyn Kelly, Greta Van Susteren, and Nicole Wallace, who we just had. Then they bash Maddow, Hayes, and Lawrence because they're all white. What are you watching when you think NBC News and MSDNC is conservative now? You need to put down the freaking peyote. It's not even crack. Crack just gets you high. Peyote makes you freaking hallucinate. That's what you're doing. Salon, they get in the hypocrisy. Because they attacked Bill O'Reilly for Bill Maher. Yeah. Bill Maher. Jesus, J. Jehoshaphat. They didn't even make a correction. They just deleted the tweet. Chris Saliza, Trump cabinet meeting was like an episode of The Apprentice. Each person trying to outdo the last in praise of Trump. You know what? This is all over the percent. It's all over. And Lord, Lee Doran nailed it. Under Obama, the press did it. But the whole thing, Schumer, MSDNC, CNN, they're all mocking this and doing their own little spoofs like they're CNN. Because they went around the room, and it's cheesy, and it looks stupid, and I'm not saying it's a good idea. They just said it's an honor to serve the country and the people. So they're saying it. Now they're saying they're Russians, because, you know, everything's got to have Russians. Somehow, somewhere, you know, like I've said before, Russian dressing is on every liberal's meal right now, because they got Russian... They got a Russian disease. Everything's got to be Russian. But all they were saying is, it's an honor to serve the people. And now this is all, this is Katie Tour. Did that compliment Lane and Trump cabinet roundtable strike you as odd? I tweeted her, no, what strikes me as odd is your unbelievable bias and your lack of journalistic integrity. I was a gentleman because I did want to type after that. But that, oh, I understand why that's happening because you let freaking Oberyn put his penis in you. That's got to alter a person. I was just saying. NARAL, remember this when the GOP turns around to tell us ACA is failing? It's not. Trump is sabotaging it. That's the big thing now. I'm not even going to talk about it because we've already covered on the show. It was failing for Trump even ran for president. So shut up. WAPO, is media coverage of Trump too negative? You're asking the wrong question from the article. 
They talk about all the bullshit. In the words of Judith Vorst Children, book title, it was for Trump, another terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. No wonder Trump is retreating to his Fox News cocoon, said Washington public relation man Alan Schlosser. Everywhere else you look, the coverage is overwhelmingly bad. But that's nothing new. Last month, a Harvard study reported that the Trump's first 100 days, about 80% of the mainstream press coverage, reflected negativity on the new president. And the sheer amount of negative news was unprecedented. Conservative media were quick to laud the study, laying as proof of liberal media bias, and even better, from their point of view, emanating from a cultural elite bastion like Harvard. Trump, of course, has been playing the victim card for months. Blah, 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 blah. Look at through this lens. Trump's press coverage has been a political nightmare. Isn't that terribly unfair? Here's my careful, nuanced answer. Hell no. That's because when we consider negative versus positive coverage of elected official, we're asking the wrong question. And then they go on and just try to once again validate by saying, when news organizations get something wrong, do they acknowledge and correct it quickly? Or do they just move on and hope nobody notices? That's exactly what they do. Do journalists allow the president and his administration to respond to criticism and give his personal prominent placement? No, they do not. Do news sites give serious, sustained attention to policy issues as well as publish innumerable hot takes about the personality-driven dust-ups of the moment? That's all they cover. So even in their explanation of how they're not doing anything wrong, they're still doing it wrong. They're just doing it wrong. It's the most biased news I've ever seen. It makes Bush derangement syndrome look like nothing now. I mean, Bush was blamed for a hurricane. He personally made that fucker and made it land on black people. Remember? Yeah, that's what happened. Big article for Frank Bruni. Bruni, can Democrats save themselves? I put it in hypocrisy because then he goes on to not talk about how they're going to save themselves. They just basically do the same thing. Fuck Trump. WAPO gushes over teenagers of color as a new face of Planned Parenthood. Why is it in the hypocrisy? Do you remember any articles about how the youth are driving the pro-life? We covered it on the show. We had a search for it. USA Today had one. New York Times didn't even cover it. But now the youth are driving it. Oh, good job. Kill more babies. Aren't you proud? This article... I'm not reading it. I'm just going to read the title. We're going to pause and mock the media. Will 2017 be the year of the trans candidate? Do, 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 what did I say, boys and girls? That's next. It's the next frontier of democratic vote pandering. They're going to put up as many trans people as they can. If they can't find enough, they're just going to tell a dude or a chick, go on stage in the opposite garb, make your voice right, put falsies in or flatten your boobs with a really tight sports bra. We're going pandering. I knew that was coming. Ugh. And before we go on the stats of the day, this pretty much sums up the media. This is Brian Seltzer 
from reliable sources, which is neither reliable or source, bemoaning the public trust in the media. Once again, remember, boys and girls, you're at fault for not believing his nonsense. If you don't believe the media, then you probably don't believe that the Trump administration's had a dysfunctional few months. If you don't believe the media, you might not believe that Russia's meddling in last year's election is a very big deal. Trust in the media has been low for years and getting lower. And the president feeds that, disher- that inherent distrust with tweets like this. Here he is this morning saying, the fake news MSM doesn't report the great economic news since election day. Obviously, the press does report on job creation, stock market records, etc. There are entire business channels. But I think what he means is he wants the press to report it more often, more positively. In any case, we can see how this anti-media rhetoric is having a real effect. A new Quinnipiac poll shows that more than half the country, 52%, believes Trump has changed American attitudes toward the news media for the worse. 22% says he's changed attitudes for the better. And 20% say he hasn't had an impact. Back with me now for some final thoughts, Jeff Greenfield, award-winning journalist and political analyst. Uh, Jeff, in six months, or almost six months in, uh, to this presidency, how corrosive has this anti-media campaign been, you think? Well, I think the singular political success of President Trump, uh, going all the way back to his campaign, is that he has convinced the core of his supporters that anything you hear critical of the president is by definition fake. And so I think that has served that relentless campaign on Twitter and in his comments, fake news, fake news, fake news, has been to convince that group of people that there is no such thing as a, as a set of facts independent of your politics. If you are criticizing Donald Trump, if you're pointing out inconsistencies or outright falsehoods, by definition, you are lying. Uh, and that has certainly served to continue and accelerate what you've talked about as a long process of declining trust in news. Love that new bumper. They'll be boop, 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 boop. Okay, stats. First new coal mine of the Trump era opens in Pennsylvania. No media coverage of it. But he opened a mine. He said he would. I'm just going to cover it. I'm not going to get into the evils of coal. I'm not going to talk about how this area. I just watched a PBS special with my wife about the Appalachia. It has forever been a terrible spot in our country. There are still people there that don't even have electricity. That's just freaking horrible. But... He said he'd do it. He's doing it. The other stat is Linda Sarsour. I'll never forget solidarity of the LGBTQIA cosign of four community and leaders after the Pulse shooting. They don't didn't allow people to divide us. Equality March. Somebody tweeted, Linda Sarsour has no business lecturing America on how we treat the LGBT community. My latest, from Heat Street. This is not me talking now. I don't think this guy is even a conservative. I don't know what he is, but it's a good read. Linda Sasser is the latest person to lecture us on the plight of the LGBTQ in a 
America. If you're born on a Sunday night and aren't sufficiently angry from whatever political grievance you might hold, I suggest taking a look at Linda Sassauer's Twitter account. From afar, everything looks relatively benign. This weekend, the Palestinian-American activists commemorated the year anniversary of the horrendous Pulse nightclub shooting, with which left 49 dead and 58 wounded. And she goes on about all this bullshit. How can one rectify our supposed sympathy of hate crime victims with the political ideology and theology constantly preaches, which directly contradicts with her various hashtags and supposed commitment to equality? The facts don't lie. In dozens of Islamic-majority countries, homosexuality remains a crime. Caught loving the wrong person in Saudi Arabia and Yemen, and you could get the death penalty, although imprisonment or some form of public humiliation is more likely. While Sassar's niceties can be appreciated, that's all they are. For women supposedly devoted to equality and human rights, it'd be nice if she said something about the community she claims to represent. For someone who wants to talk about the plight of Palestinians, where her alarm about the fact that homosexuality remains illegal and possibly a capital offense in the West Bank and Gaza... It's important to note that Sasar isn't just some random woman on the internet. Yes, she makes a fantastic boogeyman for right-wing critics of radical Islam and Sharia law, but mostly because of the welcoming she consistently receives from liberal activists. Conservatives weren't the ones who made her the national co-chair of the Women's March, and they aren't responsible for the dozens of speeches and discussions where she bashes the United States and Israel while lauding Islamic community treatment of women. He then just shows. I've written before about how there are undoubtedly millions of young intellectual Muslim American women who can act as spokesperson for American Islamic community. And instead of embracing moderate voices, the less insists that we listen to the most obnoxious and fr- frankly despicable person in the room. If liberals are truly committed to multiculturalism and tolerance, why don't they find someone who actually devoted to the causes? Do they seriously want for the face of misunderstood minority to be a character of the worst impulses? So far, that's what they got. But if you look at her tweet... Tweets. If you look at her, she's a fucking Islamist. How the hell can she even tweet that and nobody in the media says a word? So that's our stat. If anybody on the right was linked to any sort or what, remember, Remember Bird. He was a fucking grand wizard. Media ignored that. But anybody else on the right who used to be in the KKK, you never did not have a story that they did not insert that in there that he was once a racist piece of shit. And probably still is. This woman devouts a religion that throws gay people off the roof. So while you're out there, resistance, bashing Mike Pence because he's a Christian, maybe you should look at your own porch and shut the fuck up. We're going to end with a moment of just insane stupidity with Katy Perry interviewing DeRay McKesson, two fucking morons on a freaking couch. That'll take us to a music break in our first section. Grief. It's a mother flubber. 
I've made several mistakes, even in like the this is how we do video about how I wore my hair and having a hard conversation with one of my empowered angels, Cleo, about what does it mean? Why, why can't I wear my hair that way? Or what is the history behind wearing the hair that way? And she told me about the power in black women's hair mm. and how beautiful it is and the struggle. And I listened and I heard and I didn't know. And I won't ever understand some of those things because of who I am. I will never understand, but I can educate myself, educate myself, and that's what I'm trying to do along the way. And even in, you know, my intention to like appreciate Japanese culture, I did it wrong with a performance, and I didn't know that I did it wrong until. I heard people saying I did it wrong, and sometimes that's what it takes. Is it takes someone to say, out of compassion, out of love, hey, do you, this is where the origin is, you know? And do you understand? And not just like a <laughs> clap back, you know? Yeah. Because it's hard to hear those clap backs sometimes, and you want it. Your ego just wants to turn from them. And I've had, I've been so grateful to have great teachers and great friends that will really hold me accountable. Even when I said that I wasn't a feminist because I didn't know what that word meant,、mm -hmm. you know, someone pulled me aside in a quiet space and didn't shame me, didn't judge me. My friend Shannon, she just says, "Sweetheart, I love you, and I just want to show you what the Webster's definition in the dictionary says about what it is to be a feminist, and it's just equality." And so, like, so are you a feminist? Yes, sir, I am.、Okay. I am a feminist, and I think it's a beautiful thing to want equality for all females, for all women. And I know, in addition, that there are gentlemen out there that can. I judge.
Back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. another serious subject but we did cover the leftovers and i thought in retrospect you know i think that was the for me the show was dealing with grief and i don't think grief means direct family it's an emotion we all have of loss and it's hard for every one of us to do it i know in my personal case um I have put off loss. Um, I may wear um, bracelets, KIA bracelets for guys that I knew. And there were 10 of them in the war on terror that I knew that passed. But I never acknowledged their death. When my grandmother died, and I was in Afghanistan, and she was the one I was really linked to, I never mourned her death. Even when I stood over the grave, I wouldn't embrace it. I wouldn't wear it. I wouldn't... Let those emotions take me. I would just push them off. When I lost in love, I pushed it off. And I, I I live in terror now of the loss of my mother, the loss of my 
brothers and sisters, the loss of my stepfather who raised me. And I have nightmares of the loss of my wife for an entire lifetime, which is about to be 50 years come October. I won't accept grief. I won't embrace grief. I won't touch it. I won't hold it. I will push it away. I will compartmentalize. I will box it up. And I think that's why when I watch a sad show or a movie, I do cry. It's my way of releasing some of that pain that I've held for so long. So I looked up some interesting articles, and it's going to be a very brief segment. But one is Understanding How Grief Weakens the Body. It was from the Washington Post. And another one was by an author, which is the 64 things I wish somebody would have told me before I grieved. So the first one, mourning permeates physical health in many ways. New research elaborates. English terms for emotional distress are often wrapped up in the language of physical maladies, being heart sick, sick with grief, heartbroken. The old English word for grief, heart sarns, literally means soreness of the heart. Heartache originated from the old English herotasy, originally used to refer to heart pain or excuse me, heart disease. The word hurt and pain can apply equally to suffering of the mind or the body. In fact, medical knowledge suggests that our bodies already know what our words have long implied, that grief can quite literally sicken. And now new research may shed a little more light on part of the reason why. A study recently published in the Journal of Aging and Immunity found that among the elderly in particular, the recent loss of a loved one may leave a person more vulnerable to infectious disease. You know when you hear about an older couple and one of the spouses die, and then a short time afterwards, even though the other one was relatively healthy, they die as well? Ann Phillips, a professor of behavioral medicine at the University of Birmingham School of Sports, Exercise, and Rehabilitation Sciences says, that's a mouthful. We wanted to get into the science behind that and see how this effect of bereavement was getting inside the body and speeding up mortality. Phillips and her colleagues studied two small groups of mourners, one with an average age of 32 and the other with an average age of 72, and similarly aged control groups of people had not recently experienced a loss. Members of the older group of mourners, they found, had a reduced function in the neutrophils, a white blood cell used to fight off infection, compared to the non-bereaved peers. Even though members of the bereaved younger group were equally as psychologically affected, we didn't see the psychological changes that you see in the older group, a difference that researchers attribute to age-related hormone fluctuation. The effects of the stress hormone cortisol, which weakens the immune system, are balanced by a hormone called DHEA, which bolsters the effectiveness of neutrophils. But around age 30, a person's DHEA level starts to drop, leaving their immune system more vulnerable to cortisol's influence in times of stress. A prolonged emotional response to something like death, then, may leave some of one of advanced age more prone to infections. But the researchers noted hormone therapy may offer promise in reversing this effect among the grieving. Hormonal supplements or similar products could be used to help people at increased risk of stress, they said in a press release. But the act of mourning can, as Phyllis puts it, give in, get inside the body. In other ways, too, previous research has found that following the death of a spouse, people were likely to report more self-medication and worse overall health. Grief has also been found to aggravate physical pain, increase blood pressure and blood clots, and exacerbate appetite loss, possibly because it also caused people to find less pleasure in food. That's a true statement. 
I mean, you think about any relationship you've ever been, they're, they're somewhere in that relationship is food. Your favorite foods, your favorite restaurant, Friday night pizza and a movie, whatever. Those are happy memories. And I know during, even though I'm a fat fuck, during my severe bouts of depression, I ate a lot less. I didn't have an appetite. That's kind of interesting. And in the previous study from Phillips, the flu vaccine was less effective in older people who had lost a loved one within the past year. Unsurprisingly, though, another chunk of medical research on Greece was focused on its effect on the heart. And a 2012 study published in the Journal of Circulation found that a person's risk of having a heart attack increased 21 times over in the day immediately following the death of a loved one and six times over in the following week. Other research has found a similar effect over the longer term. Research published earlier this year in JAMA Internal Medicine found that the risk of heart attack or stroke after losing a partner stayed elevated for as long as a month. And yes, broken heart syndrome is a real thing. Formerly known as Takatsubo cardiomyopathy, myopathy, excuse me, it, it happens when extreme emotional stress causes one of the heart chambers to balloon, triggering symptoms similar to those of a heart attack. Unlike in a heart attack, though, the condition is usually reversible and very rarely fatal, according to the American Heart Association. In other words, putting all physical ailments aside, it's difficult, though theoretically possible, to die from a broken heart. And I think back to the people that I've met that have lost somebody close to them and I look at their appearance their lack of energy so grief is more than just a psychological ailment it affects the entire body this article and unfortunately I can't remember where I got it from 64 things I wish someone had told me about grief we think about grief a lot around here we write about types of grief grief theory personal reflections, creative expressions for coping with grief, practical ideas for managing grief, and on and on and on. But there are some days that all seem a lot to take in. We think back to the basics, not the theory stuff, not the idea about how to cope, just the really basic things that people never tell you about grief. So with your help, that is what we have today, a quick and dirty list of things we wish we had known about grief before we knew anything about grief. If it's in quotes, it is something one of our fabulous readers shared with us on Twitter or Facebook. If you finish this post and you're annoyed about all the things we forgot, leave a comment and keep the list going. Number one, no matter how prepared you think you are for death, you can never be fully prepared for the loss and the grief. Two, you can plan for death, but death does not always comply with our wishes or plans. Three, stop avoiding and be present. I think on this list, that was the one that really hit me. Be present. Because life is short. And I think, I w- you know, if I look back at the regrets of 50 years of my life, I think of the times that I wasn't present. That I was dealing with something at work or I was commiserating over some stupid project or during the time prior to war from, you know, September 11th until... January something to 2002, all I could think about was that deployment. And I had all this time with my family. We'd be doing things, but I wasn't really there. I was thinking about the possibilities of combat. I always regretted that. Um, the times that I was stationed out in the Mojave and I'd come home every six months. Somewhere along the line, I'd start thinking about having to go back. And I noticed on my business trips, 
I would spend those weekends. I'd come home on a Friday, and Friday I was good, and Saturday I was good, and then Sunday I'd have this gigantic depression because I knew Monday morning at 04, I was getting in a car and I was going away. And I wasted that time, really. Four, dying is not like you see on TV or in the movies. It's not peaceful or prepared. You may not have a spiritual or meaningful moment. It's too real. Five, a hospital death is not always a bad death. Six, a home death, hospice death, is not always a good death. Seven, there'll be pressure from others to move on, even minutes or hours after a death, and this can lead to regrets. Eight, death is not an emergency. There is always time to step back and take a moment to say goodbye. Death and grief make people uncomfortable, so be prepared for awkward encounters. You will plan the funeral while in a haze. If you aren't happy with the funeral you had, have another memorial service later. When people offer support, take the support. People will bring you food because they don't know what else to do. Don't feel bad if you have to throw it away. People will say stupid, hurtful things without even realizing it. People will tell you things that aren't true about your grief. Death brings out the best and the worst in families, so be prepared. Inside many discussions with my sister, who I'm very close with. I know in the passing of my mother and father, I'm showing up the day before the funeral. I have stepbrothers and stepsisters and brothers and sisters. and everybody, I, I just know it, knowing from back when I was a little kid and my great-grandmother died. And I remember my great-grandmother used to walk past the house and I'd grab her bag and I'd go down there and I'd get a little itsy-bitsy seven up. That's all I knew about the woman. I didn't have much of a relationship. She wasn't close to me. I talked to my great-grandfather and he showed me a possum once. He cut open a watermelon and we'd sit. I remember the day of the funeral, we couldn't go because we were too young, and we went into that room and the house, and I was in the living room, and, and everything was out. They were doing a garage sale. They were selling everything because they were putting him in care house. They were just going to put him in an old folks' home, sell the house, get the money. And I went out for a second, and I grabbed a dove lamp. And some aunt, you know, like a great aunt, I didn't know who she was. I think it was my grandmother and my mother and my aunt, you know, said you can have it for a buck. And she, oh, that's well worth more a dollar. And there was this big argument. And finally I got the lamp. I don't know what my mom paid for it. And they brought Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I went into the living room and I started eating the Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I looked up at my great-grandfather sitting in a chair. There were no words for a young kid. I, I think I was seven, eight, maybe. I don't know. Six to eight. There were no words for me to say what he was, he looked like. It was a mixture of just sheer sadness and anger as everybody fought over everything. So for me, I won't go until the day before the funeral. All my siblings can fight over everything. I don't want anything. I'll just come and pay my respect to whoever died. Because it does bring the worst out in families. 16. There's no such thing as closure. There's no timeline for grieving. You can't rush it. You will grieve in some form forever. There will always be regrets. No matter how much time you had, you'll always want more. Guilt is a normal part of grief. Anger is a normal part of grief. The pain of loss is a reflection of love, but you never regret loving as hard as you can. Grief can make you question your faith. I know that's going to happen to me. 
Grief doesn't come in the five neat stages. Grief is messy and confusing. Grief makes you feel like you're going crazy. Grief can make you question your life, your purpose, your goals, and that isn't always a bad thing. We all grieve differently, which can create strain and confusion between family members and friends. However badly you think it's going to hurt, it's going to be a million times worse. You may find comfort in very unexpected places. You should go somewhere to debrief after caregiving. The last 24 hours of their lives will play in your mind. And I think that's an important thing. I remember there was a time my mom went through the loss of her mother, then my grandfather, then my grandmother. And she was with all of them. And I think talking to her, because I, I visited a few times, but talking post all that, it affected her for life. I think, you know, me and my sister used to say, I think she's waiting just to die. Because there was so much emotion. My grandfather had bone cancer and he wanted to go home. So he died in his bed and just whittled away. And grandma had a stroke and she just got worse and worse. So she helped at the assisted living community she was in. And I just visited her. Um, maybe six months prior to her death. I'd come back from Korea and I came in to see my folks because I knew it'd be a long time and I wanted to go see my grandma and I remember I left and I was on the elevator riding down with her and I started crying because I just knew I wasn't going to see her again. I just felt that she was old. She was frail. She wasn't the energetic person I'd ever seen. The one that I associated so much with that was the essence of who I was. I remember looking in the elevator going, stop it. And she said she loved me. And the elevator closed and I walked out in the car and I was right. I never saw her again. But I think that affected my mom. It just affected her. And I think she should have been debriefed. She should have gone and had somebody talk to her, done some counseling or something. Because three in a row within a short time frame, that's just a lot of pain. 31. Trying to protect children from death and the emotion of grief isn't helpful. I think that's true. Um... My parents shielded us from our grand-grandparents. We never went to the funerals. We never saw anything. My first funeral was a military funeral. For somebody I didn't even know. And I almost started crying. I was a private. There was so much grief there. So much tears. It was raining. I was in Alaska. And he was a Korean War pilot that was being buried on a military cemetery on the base. And I never seen that raw emotion in person. I was like 18. And it just, Whoa. I remember my sergeant look at me and go, focus. He just whispered it because he knew I was about to break. I had never seen it. I was a kid. So I don't think it's good. I think there's a part that everybody needs that closure and even children. I, I think it would have set me up better for life to understand everybody's going to die. We're all going to die. That's just a fact. Embrace it. Enjoy every day. You know, I think it would have been better, but I don't know. It's sometimes necessary to seek out new ways to grieve on your own. Find new guidance that the people who are supposed to be supportive simply haven't learned how. You grieve your past, present, and future with that person. Big life events and milestones will forever be bittersweet. I, I know with my wife, we say it all the time, Halloween is going to suck after Gigi's gone. And for her, Christmas is going to be depressing as hell. Because that's my holiday. I'm a kid. I'm just a little kid. 35, grief triggers triggers are everywhere. You will sing things or remind you of your loved one all over the place, and it may lead to sudden outbursts of emotions. 
I know tonight, because last week when I did a podcast, was the first time I've ever been alone in my own house. When she was in the hospital, I was there with her. So I was in the house, and I remember just walking around thinking, this is what it's going to be like when she's gone. Everything in this house is Gigi. It's not me. Everything. Decorations. Well, I guess they're not decorations. Inside decor. I guess it's the proper thing. It's her. Sleeping in the bed. It's her. Her clothes. Her bathroom. I remember a time we were so far apart. It just had gotten terrible. It was five years. And I think there was a level of grieving in that that I, I never addressed. And I've talked about on the show being in that trailer so alone. Just so alone. The only conversation I'd have was with a freaking coyote every night. And I ended up putting some of her stuff in my bathroom in the trailer. I just needed a few girl things in there. I just needed to feel her because I couldn't feel her anymore. So I don't know how I'm going to cope. God willing, you know, decades from now, I'll have to deal with this or I'll die first, whichever the way it works out. But just thinking about walking around my house... And she's no longer here. I, it's just hor- horrific to me. It is beyond horror. You lose yourself. You lose your identity, meaning, purpose, values, and your trust. 37 holiday anniversaries and birthdays will be hard forever. People will tell you what you should and shouldn't feel and how you should and shouldn't grieve. Ignore them. The grieving process is about not only mourning the loss, but getting to know yourself as a different person. There's no normal when it comes to grieving. Sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. It is normal to feel numb after it happened. The tears will come. They'll come in waves. Grief can make you feel selfish and entitled, and that's okay. Meeting new people who never knew the person who died can be hard and sad, but eventually it can be nice to introduce them through stories and photographs. The practice of sending thank you notes after a funeral is cruel and an unusual tradition. People love to judge how you are doing. Watch out for those people. You can't compare grief or compare losses, though people will try. Any loss you grieve is a valid loss, though people will sometimes make you feel otherwise. Just because you feel pretty good one day doesn't mean you are cured of your grief. There are many days when you will feel totally and completely alone, whether you are or not. Grief can make you do stupid, crazy things. They may be what you need at that time, but you may regret them later. Cut yourself some slack. Grief can make you a stronger person than you were before. Grief counseling doesn't mean you're crazy. Counseling in general doesn't mean you're crazy. It took me a long time to get over that stigma. And as I've talked ad nauseum on this podcast, the best thing I ever fucking did in my life, other than marrying my beautiful wife, was go to counseling. I had fucking issues. They had built up to OCDs, lack of sleep, just insomnia like a bitch, nightmares. I was fucked up. I could no longer control my depression. And going and talking, those two cycles I did over a year, it just worked. It was good just to puke it out. Just puke it out and talk about the things that I never talked to anybody about. It helped. So go. 54, it's okay to cry. 55, it's okay not to cry. Time does not heal all wounds. Grief rewrites your address book. Sometimes the people you think will be there for you are not. 
People you never expect become your biggest supporters. 58, you don't get over it. Just get used to that. 59, it's okay to tell people when they are not being helpful. Watch your drinking alcohol can quickly become an unhealthy friend. I concur with that. I think during my time in that trailer, I was grieving. My my loneliness became grief. It became like the leftovers, something I wore, and it was a full-time occupation. Along with that became a full-time occupation of putting two liters of Jack Daniels down a week. It took me a year before I came back, before my wife finally made me realize that was probably wrong. Because I was still drinking at the house. Not in that level, but I was still drinking. I used to say I liked the taste. But yeah, alcohol doesn't fix you. The bottom of the bottle just leads to corking the next one. That's all it does. Or uncorking the next one. That's just a reality. 61, you'll have to face your emotions eventually. You can avoid them for a while, but they will catch up with you in the end. Talking isn't the only way to express and process emotion. 63, you'll never go back to being your old self. Grief changes you, and you are never the same. And finally, nothing you do in the future will change your love for the person who died. Eventually, you will begin to enjoy life again, date again, have another child, seek new experiences, or whatever. None of these things will diminish your love for the person you lost. Odd segment, I know, but we covered the leftovers, and it came after it, and I just thought, you know, we all need to think about how we're going to handle these things. Even though we'll never be prepared, it's good to talk about it, but more importantly, I I think this segment for me was a validation, it's okay to grieve. And going forward for me, as a person, I know I have to. When my sister, my mother my wife, the three people that are very important in my life, go, it's going to be really hard because that'll be the first time I tackle it and actually allow myself to grieve. Um, it'll be a milestone, so to speak, and I'll, I'll need to do it. I'll just need to do it. So um, we'll go into just a bumper. And our next segment, this is some freaky ass shit, and I found it by accident. Five true stories about the military's paranormal activity research.
So I went over to Task and Purpose to look up some military stuff, and I found this story from June 8th. It was written by James Clark, Five True Stories About the Military Paranormal Activity Research. And I thought, what the hell? This is like right down Agent Mulder's wheelhouse. What if I told you that the Department of Defense and the CIA spent four decades researching extrasensory perception and psychokinesis? Bending spoons with your mind? Ooh, all of the Matrix. From the 50s to the 90s, the military intelligence communities investigated psychic phenomena, conducted clandestine missions that relied on subjects believed to have supernatural powers, and competed with the Soviet Union in psychic arms race. In Phenomena, the secret history of the U.S. government investigations into extrasensory perception and psychokinesis published in March, investigative journalist Annie Jacobson explored the bizarre world of government-funded research into the paranormal. The responsibility of the Defense Department and CIA is to be aware of what the enemy is working on and to create programs to counter it, Jacobson said. Is this the chicken and the egg scenario? Is this the military-industrial complex? Task of Purpose spoke to Jacobson, discussed how it all started and how it was all allowed to get as far as it did. One, starts with the Nazis, some of whom were obsessed with black magic. In 45, the Nazi regime defeated members of an elite U.S. scientific intelligence initiative called Operation Alsos. Alsos. A-L-S-O-S. Made the way to Berlin to scoop up as much intel as possible on German military projects. In the bombed-out remnants of a villa in an affluent neighborhood in southwestern Berlin, they uncovered a cache of documents and artifacts that were part of Honor B, Heinrich Himmler's science organization, which was well-funded and vast. It even had an entire branch devoted to the survey of the so-called occult sciences, Jacob's rights and phenomena. The highest-ranking Nazi leader was obsessed with the occult. On Himmler orders, SS officers raided German-occupied territories for artifacts related to magic, even ransacking museums in Poland, Ukraine, and Crimea Crimea, for mysterious text. Nazi scientists at Honorby, I don't know how to say that, scoured the globe for items like the Holy Grail and the Lance of Destiny, spirit thought to have killed Christ. In that organization, there was ESP, psychokineticists, Map dousing, an element of which you would could say was a supernatural paranormal, Jacobson says. In the villa basement, the researchers found remnants of Teutonic symbols and rites, as well as baby skulls in a corner pit of ashes. What the fuck? Number two, the Cold War arms race spilled over into psychics research. United States foray in the psychic research took off in the 50s when it set about countering Soviet mind control. Thought to be a legitimate concern at the time and it was based at least partially off the Nazi research. Both the U.S. and Soviet Union relied on cache of Nazi research they recovered, some of which detailed experiments conducted at concentration camps where Nazi scientists pushed human psychology to extremes. Now the CIA and KGB would conduct similar experiments, each side arguing that the other side's program required these countermeasures. The fear of Soviet mind control was reinforced by videos of American prisoners of war reciting communist propaganda, Jacobson said. We look back and say now, that's ridiculous, you can't brainwash someone. But it certainly looked that way when you watch those old black and white images of POWs. Hmm. 
The ULTRA program, the CIA-backed mind control program, NK-ULTRA, officially started in 53, ran well in the 60s, and involved dosing American citizens with biological and chemical agents like LSD or acid, often without the individual's knowledge. While they were looking into mind research and how much input behavior the MK-ULTRA subproject 58 became significant, which is the program to use drugs, which they call psychopharmacology, to enhance psychic functioning and psychic people. It's a real jumping-off point for understanding how, why this race against Soviet began and why it legitimately, in many ways, it was legitimate in many ways. Let's see. Okay, so let's move on. There's just a bunch of crazy shit. Three, the time a secretary with psychic power found a downed Soviet bomber. The government research in psychic phenomena often jumped back and forth between DOD or CIA, with the program being shut down after inconclusive results, only to open up under a new name. In seventies, the remote viewing program was owned was owned by the Defense Department. Remote viewing is essentially the idea that someone can visualize details of distant people and objects through telekinesis. A small operation was run out of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. It was a very small budgeted program because most people thought it was bananas. That changed in times of emergency like 76 when a remote viewing team was given a whopper of a mission. A Soviet bomber gone down the jungle of Africa and the CIA and military intelligence had been used every intelligent collection means available to them from satellite technology to Signet to human intelligence and they had absolutely nothing. With nothing to lose, the military could contact the remote viewing operation and they put the secretary, Rosemary Smith, on the job and she was able to draw maps that pinpointed where their aircraft was within a few miles. The cable was sent to the CIA and they sent a paramilitary team out to the jungle near the area where Mrs. Smith said it would be. They saw a villager carrying a piece of aircraft out of the jungle and that led them to the crash site. It was earth-shattering. A psychic was able to produce actionable intelligence. Holy shit, I didn't know that happened. Then there were men who stared at goats. <laughs> I've never seen a crazy movie about this. I didn't think it was true. One army unit detailed in Jacobs' book known as Detachment G was establishing a top-ranking officers who were leery about the idea of bringing on psych- psychics for research. So they stocked the program with the ar- within the Army's ranks. One of their units to- tasking was remote viewing. And in September 79, the National Security Council called on Detachment G to use the remote viewing powers to investigate a Soviet naval base. While concentrating on a photo in a closed envelope, one of the units described seeing a building on a shoreline which smelled of gas and industrial products. Inside the building was a large coffin-like object, a weapon. With fins like a shark. A few months later, the CIA received satellite imagery showing the Soviets and constructed a new ballistic missile submarine, later made famous by its NATO designation, the Typhoon. The hulking nuclear sub was known in the USSR as a Kula, which was Russian for sharks. If this sounds like the basis of the men who stare at goats, that because it is. And that must have been the movie I was talking about. Five, and guess what? We still haven't given up the research. Presently, the Office of Naval Research calls this program Anomalous Mental Cognition, referring to a $3.9 million program funded by the ONR in 2014 to investigate the existence of precognition, which they refer to as Spidey Sense. Yes, like the comics. In 2006, Army Staff Sergeant Martin Richburg sent something odd about a man at a cafe in Iraq. After clearing out the patrons, he discovered an improvised explosive device that the man had left behind, whether it was instinct 
or something more, researchers are understandably curious to see why he was triggered. Because of the stigma surrounding ESP and really anything having to do with supernatural, the nomenclature has changed, but Jacobson argued that the research continues and the underlying goal remains the same. In essence, you have the, this idea, which really became the core and theme of phenomena, which is, in fact, or it is it fantasy? Which is it? Fact or fantasy? Sorry, I read that totally jacked up. Or will advanced technology, this remarkable system of systems of technology the government has developed, which include computer technology, biotechnology, and nanotechnology, will this rubric of advanced technology allow us to solve this age-old mystery, whether or not extrasensory perception exists? Biologically. Wow. Hmm. Whether it's true or not, I put my tinfoil hat on and believe we are probably doing shit like this. We're probably doing shit we don't even know. We're making systems we don't even know. It's out there. Hovercraft, the whole fucking nine yards. It's there. We got secret places all over our country. It's there. I hate to sound like Frickin' Alex Jones, but it's probably true. So, having talked about grief and crazy shit, <laughs> let's have a music break and when they go into news, social media nuggets, and see the internet's crazy shit.
Tech, the show for normal Americans. Stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. Still my favorite bumper. The Air Force is an overkill problem. United States Air Force seems to have finally recognized that it will have to operate in permissive airspace fighting against poorly armed insurgents for the unforeseeable future. Perhaps a breakthrough of sorts for the service, the Air Force also seems to recognize that high-performance fourth and fifth-generation fighters such as the Boeing F-15E Strike Eagle and the F-35 are not the best weapons being massive overkill to use against such groups. Instead, the Air Force seems serious about pursuing options that would give it a low-cost platform that could perform the mission in a much more cost-effective manner. The Air Force is investigating a new light attack aircraft, OAX, that may provide opportunity to create a high-low mix for combating low-end threats and more permissive environments. We've invited industry to participate in a demonstration this summer to determine if the business case exists to add a light attack aircraft to our arsenal. Why don't we not spend any money and just use a goddamn A-10? Come on! Come on! If you did a survey between 16s, 15s, Every grunt's going to say, I want a fucking A-10. I don't want a goddamn Apache. just want an A-10 on call. Search for missing USS Shiloh soldiers suspended after exhaustive effort. The Navy and Japanese Coast Guard suspended their search at midnight Sunday for USS, USS Shiloh sailor officially say, officials say, likely fell overboard in the Western Pacific. The sailor was reported missing at about 930 while the guided missile cruiser was conducting routine operations 180 miles east of Okinawa. That is horrific. That is just horrific. If you ever watched, uh, what was the one? I can't remember the name. Man, I just brain farted. It was about the Pacific on HBO. It was a series, kind of like Band of Brothers, or maybe it was Showtime. 
And they show guys falling over. And that's back in the day, if you fell over, fuck yeah. They didn't stop because of subs. That is just scary. Big three networks premiere military shows in the fall, but none contact DOD. Everything's coming up tactical this fall as network television jump on the military show bandwagon with CBS, the CW, and NBC, each each recently announcing plans to add military shows to their lineup. But while the networks might be trying to attract a more military-specific audience with these shows, they neglected to consult the Pentagon for any direction or authenticity. Task of Purpose spoke to DOD Entertainment Media Director said so far no shows have contacted them. None of them came to us with their script, Phil Strub told Task and Purpose. The office, which Strub has helmed since 89, offers military assistance in production of feature motion pictures, TV shows, documentaries, music videos, and advertisements and video games. Private advocacy organizations like Got Your Six also work to ensure military authenticity in media, but in many cases, veterans still reject TV and movie portrayal of service for their inability to accurately show military life. In recent years, there's been an uptick in Hollywood desire to portray military life on silver screen and on your home screen. American Sniper, setting off a number of other movies, a show about the post-9-11 veteran. This past year, the History Channel added a number of military-specific shows, both scripted and reality, to its roster, including Six, which I liked, The Warfighter, never seen it. The selection was friggin' awesome. While Netflix recently released original movie star Brad Pitt about the Afghanistan war, which I will not watch, it's clear that TV and movie producers believe viewers have a thirst for the military. Whether these three new shows carry will wait in the mind of veterans and service members remain to be seen. But their trailers are all available for critiquing. The first one is SEAL Team. Coming to CBS in the fall, this scripted drama will feature David Barans, previously of Bones, as a Navy SEAL. According to CBS, in this action-packed new drama, these stealthy and fearless warriors conduct high-risk clandestine missions against impossible odds. And when they return to home front, they face stress of a different nature. Here's the trailer. Tell me about the operation of last December. Jackpot. Probably two hold one. Go, go! Mr. Hayes. Oh, look at that. Time's up. It was just starting to get really good. I miss seeing you guys. It sucks that's the way it works. And if any of us thought there was even a chance you two weren't going to get past this, we'd all be taking it pretty hard. <laughs> hey, Daddy. Emma's recital is this week, and I know she won't say anything, but it would mean a lot if you could just be there. I'll try. I'll try. Go. Be safe. We have an opportunity to snatch Abu Samir. Yes, I know some of us have been down this road before, but for those of you needing a refresher... He's a high-level ISIL commander. Responsible for dozens of attacks in Iraq. 
He's got 20 years of gold floating around his head. Names, addresses. And if you can bring him to me still breathing, I'm going to get it all. We're going in the same way we're going out. That's the choppers. RPG, 12 o'clock. We're going to come straight up the valley. We're going to buzz the compound. We're going to drop right down on him. Boom, bam. What do you say, Jedi? Ready? Let's go, brother. Huh? Come on, man. Jason Hayes, meet your new team member. He's not ready. This kid's a smartass. Hey, you got a problem with your combinations? Do you know how many times I made a hammock on the C-130? Can I at least get an Ambien if I'm going to sleep sitting upright for the next 19 hours? How about you sit back down and don't make me kick your ass up and down this aircraft? Hey, just wanted to introduce you to the hair missile. Get a scent on you while he's still calm. Hey, 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 boy. hey whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you never tell him to sit. Only time he's supposed to sit is when he smells explosives. We clear? You want to go out into the city on foot? Yeah, I'll take Scooby Van. Yes? Seriously, guys, it's still kind of Mad Max out there. We got movement. Video feed appears to show subjects unloading a hooded prisoner. I'm going to ask you a very simple question. Do we have the resources to rescue the hostage and perform a successful non-lethal snatch of Abu Samir? We can accomplish both objectives. That's mighty hard to imagine. Like I said, we got this. You can run, but you can't hide. This is your hotel one. The tunnel is not secured. You copy? You copy. Tunnel not secured. This is X-ray one. Looks like a dog's found something. Get out of Make it back home to us. Where's that? It's okay. We're here. We're American. We're going to take you home, okay? Tell me about the operation. Listen to me. I told you to stay out of the tunnel. We were sent 5,000 miles to bring him in alive. We should have brought him in for you. You just saved a woman from being tortured to death on the internet in front of her friends and loved ones. You also, by the way, found time to rid the world of one of its few dozen or so most evil people. I'd call that a good night's work. There sure is a lot of seal crap going on. 
Valor, CW's Valor, is described as a military drama conspiracy theory starring Matt Barr and Valor, the balance between military discipline and human desire, tested as a U.S. Army base that houses an elite unit of helicopter pilots trained to perform clandestine international and domestic missions. Here it's trailer is. Two minutes to the LZ. Statement of the year, sir. You did everything you could. You followed procedure. You tried to find the others. I'm good. I see old nub. About the same, sir. I need answers. Missing isn't an answer. Mission is classified. It's always classified. Do you have any idea what it's like being married to somebody who can't tell you where they are going or when they are coming back? Sir, that decision we made. It was a mistake. Hello? Daddy! Last night, Jimmy Cam called home on a scrambled sat phone. He's been captured, along with Sergeant Hendricks. They told me to tell my wife. You have no idea the mess you just started. These are the first POWs since Bergdahl. That is not a good thing in case any of you are fuzzy on the situation. The only way they get out is we break them out. We have to find them first, but make no mistake, we will bring them home. As for Richard and the prisoner, Richard is one of the agency's most valued officers. The search for him is ongoing. We lied in our debriefs. We made that decision together. And if we get caught? Sir, you have to let me fly this mission. You're going to have to prove you're up to it. There is something bigger going on here. Now, if we're going to get Jimmy out safe, we need to know what. First step is to ID the prisoner we had that night. Hey, hey! We should take this to the colonel. Yeah, and say what? We lied in our debriefs? What are your thoughts on Captain Gallo? I'm not sure what you mean. Well, they went through a lot together that can create intense feelings. Duty is not the opposite of weakness. No, it's the cure for weakness. I almost lost you over there. I don't want you getting in the cockpit if you're not ready. You need to promise me something. You won't give up. I'm here to bring those men back. Yeah. I just wish I knew what else you were here for. Execute. It's my job to know when someone is hiding something. And you are. A soldier's duty is resist or escape. I joined the army to be one of the good guys. That is not how this feels. People don't want boots on the ground anymore. Covert ops, blurred lines. That's what you joined. You should have let him drown. Now you've seen his face, we have a problem. Step away, Captain. Your choice, soldier. This is what war is now.
And the last one is the Brave. NBC will offer its military drama in the form of journey into the covert lives of defense intelligence agency. We're looking for an NCIS here. Starring Anne Heck as the agency's deputy director, the show will take viewers from Washington, D.C. to some of the most dangerous places on the earth. Doubt any of these will make it. Storefront honoring an artwork from World War II bomber triggers ragey social justice warriors. Oh, look, it's a hot chick on a bomb and a Breitling storefront. It is gorgeous. It's like one of the paintings, and it shows a girl in a red dress. You can barely see her panties. And she's writing a bomb down, and that was what we painted on planes, British, American, everything. So does this go, cat-horning feminists and hairy-legged single social justice warriors triggered in three, two, one. So this lady, Maria Popova, well, that's a store I'm never shopping at. 2017, Breitling. Not that it would be any more okay in 1917. I'm sure their bottom line will be devastated without you quit attempting to dictate how someone is somewhere is ran. You're not special. And they literally... This is an article in uh, the Mirror Breitling Watch store as highly sexualized mannequin. Kirsty Russell, 42, started a petition to stop it. Shoppers called the model sexist and not suitable for children. And they are just butthurt. They are actually calling it, this is hideous and appropriate. What on earth does a tacky, sexualized, pornographic image have to do with luxury watches? Watches. It's sexist. It has nothing to do with selling watches. This is offensive. And that's all from the same lady. Losing her mind over a World War II image. This was okay for your grandparents. But you, oh no, I'm hurting inside. You've just triggered me. Get over it. David Weagle, oh, at People Summit, when you say brother and sister, it's excluding now. Yeah. Excluding. I don't even know what that means. I guess you're excluding people that are neither brothers and sisters? Those questioning individuals. Okay. Alt-left insanity. Wonder Woman isn't LGBTQ or black enough for libs. Half the Twitterverse is saying how refreshing it is to see a woman hero. The other half is saying, why isn't she gay and black? I mean, she's brown skin, but she's not black. So she should have been a gay black woman, and these people would be happy with it. Makes about as much sense as Chinese man caught with 500 imprisoned cats. Destined for restaurants. He actually stole the cats. (laughs) Woo! That's a cat dude. Could fubbing be secretly ruining your relationship? This is by Kylie Matthews. I'm only covering it because I always cover these... Weird new things about phones and shit. New research suggests this pernicious problem is wrecking, wreaking emotional havoc. Do you spend more quality time with your phone than your partner? Are you compulsively checking for notifications endlessly scrolling through your social media feeds while in pros- presence of your significant other? Mm, these are things you need to question yourself. If this sounds like you, you may have one of millions of people experiencing what is a relatively new psychological condition. Known as fubbing, that according to in- influential new research may be slowly eroding your relationship. Phone addiction is a thing. Seriously. Fubbing is a portmanteau of phone and snubbing and occurs when conversation is erupted by attention being given to a smartphone rather than the person you're with. 
When it's your loved one who bears the brunt of this compulsive action, it's called fubbing, partner, phone, snubbing. And it's a new addiction that I think the name is really, really bad and not going to catch on. But at the end of the day, it is actually probably true. There's a lot of people that can't have a conversation when their phone goes off. They're going to ignore you or they have that little beep. So you know you're a fubber if you have your phone out and close to you when you are with your partner at all times. You keep your conversations with your partner short because your attention is more focused on your phone. You break your attention from the conversation you're having with your partner to look respond to the phone. You check your phone when there's a lull in conversation. If you're watching TV together, you look at your phone when there is an ad break. You take a call that is not urgent when you're having quality time with your partner. Probably all of us are guilty. So, fubber. You're a fubber. Doesn't have the same thing as transphobe, but they'll work on it. Over time, it will. If you do it against a person of color, it'll be a fubbist. If you do it against a person who's LGBTQ, cosine of four, you're a fub, uh, fubobe. There we go. A fubobe. That's coming to a progressive politician in the future. Our lighter fair. As if Americans need one more reminder or just how great Canada is, there was no such disruption reported at Drag Queen Storytime at a branch of Edmonton Public Library. By the way, YEG is code for the Edmonton International Airport. Drag Queen Storytime is filling up quickly, said Dr. Christopher Wells. Remind us again, what excuse did we hear from all the Hollywood celebrities who had pledged to move to Canada when Trump was elected? Justin Trudeau still would love to welcome you. Lords leads a rhyme. Five clumsy, clumsy drag queens. A hit with the crowd. There are about 150 people here. Drag queens reading The Boy Who Cried Fabulous by Leslian Newman at epl.ca. Rainbow story time. Everyone enjoy learning their drag queen names. This very first drag queen story time was a huge success. Thanks at EPL.ca for supporting the diversity of our fabulous community. Hashtag YEG Pride. Douglas Hot, what did we learn today? I've learned today, is there nothing better than a drag queen reading a story? Those are all tweets. That's a true thing. I put it in the lighter fare, because for fuck's sake, you're taking this shit too far. Just... Taking it too far. So to realign the universe, I have two Ranger Up videos. The first one. First, the guide to being a piece of shit veteran on the internet. Which I think a lot of people need to pay attention to. And the second one, whiskey and bad decision. Well, that used to hit home for me. So, enjoy. The Guide to Being a Piece of Shit Veteran on the Internet. Step 1. Ostracize other veterans. This is an important step. First off, you're going to want to post something on your Facebook page about how all veterans need to stick together. Then you're going to want to head to the comments section of any of the 2.1 million military-themed Facebook pages. What you'll do from there is hone in on any comment where someone contradicts your worldview. Then you're going to want to hit them with a barrage of mean-spirited statements like Snowflake, Liptard, Butthurt, or all of the above. 
Let them know, since they have a different outlook on things than you, that they need to go find a safe space. There's no need for cordial discussion when you've already laid out the standards of how millions of veterans, spanning multiple generations and backgrounds, are supposed to believe and act. Additionally, you should openly call into question whether they served or not if they have a different viewpoint. Step two, ostracize non-veterans. Let's face it, only people who served in the military understand what it means to be an American. Everyone else is a civilian piece of shit who shouldn't be allowed to comment on how to make America a better place. Because you're the one who signed a blank check worth up to and including your life. These civilian pieces of shit include the Wright brothers, Benjamin Franklin, Henry Ford, Martin Luther King Jr., Thomas Jefferson, Steve Jobs, and your mom. They all don't get it. You serve, this is your country and your country alone. Step three, tout that shit. You're going to want to start off any post or comment with the phrase, as a veteran. This immediately lays the groundwork that you're an expert on whatever the topic is and that you speak for all veterans. Should people have to press one for English? Fuck no. As an American veteran, you don't want to live in a country where you have to hear gibberish from other people's mouths, even though said country has no official language. Is it okay for people to enjoy fireworks on the 4th of July? No way, Jose. As a veteran, you don't want to deal with people enjoying the freedoms you fought for, especially if it involves fun. A celebrity dies and you don't like the news covering it instead of the troops? Veteran. A complex issue dealing with national security that even our nation's best intellectuals struggle with? Veteran. A cooking vlog suggested a teaspoon of salt and you think it's too much salt? That's right, baby. You're a veteran and those piece of shit civilians just don't know how to cook. Step four. Throw in the chips. Now that you've established to the public that you speak for all veterans, you're going to want to say some insanely racist, homophobic, and chauvinistic shit in order for people who have had little interaction with veterans to see that we're a bunch of assholes, thus perpetuating the cycle of high veteran unemployment. That's a great way to keep the military-civilian divide at an all-time high. After that, you're going to want to take a break from your computer. Battling libtard snowflakes all day can take its toll. So go do a recreational activity like open carrier rifle around an airport. It's your right. You fought for it. Hey, man, don't forget step five. Oh, yeah. Step five. Start your own military apparel company. Let's face it. What this world needs is more military apparel brands. Make sure you're using buzzwords like Spartan, Lion, Viking, Infidel, Dysfunctional, and our personal favorite, Sheepdog! As a bonus, end your name with as fuck. That's right. Then you can get so high on yourself that you make your own movie. Bonus steps. Step 6.0. Constantly tell active duty troops how things were so much tougher when you were in the military. Make sure you're relegating their service even though there's nothing notable about yours. Step 6.1. Create an anonymous Facebook group and share nude pictures of female service members against their will because you have some deep-seated psychological issues regarding women. Step 6.2. After people call you out for step 6.1, remind them that it doesn't matter that you've habitually violated the privacy and dignity of your fellow service members because your Facebook group has done stuff to try to stop veteran suicide. Even though suicide numbers haven't changed in a decade and your actions are literally putting so much stress on others that it's driving them to suicide. Step 6.3. Just keep being a dick to service members, veterans, and civilians in general. Hey, Nick. Hey. I've got a surprise for you. Oh, a surprise. Must be my lucky day. Nick, I'm Dr. Cynthia. Hi. This is your intervention. I don't do drugs or anything, and it's not like I drink a I drink some. Okay, I drink a lot, but I don't think that's what this is about. Yeah, um, we're gonna need you to stop doing stupid shit. I don't do stupid shit. Well, for one, you rubbed Mikhail Gorbachev's birthmark. Come on, man. You stole MC Hammer's limousine. 
You're not a Jedi, so gaining a Jedi lightsaber duel and breaking someone's nose and hand is pretty stupid. Nick, while you were deployed, you prank called the G2 and almost caused an international incident by acting like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, I hope you left enough room for my fist, because I don't put it through your stomach and tell your goddamn spine! Grown-ups don't get arrested at a bachelor party in Atlanta dresses superheroes. Even that's Miss New Jersey, that Serbs are actually vampires that drink the blood of Albanians. I used it as an opportunity to teach her a valuable life lesson. Don't fucking believe me. Wow, Nick, you don't remember crashing that Olympic loser party? And then you convinced all the losers that you were a loser for the X Games. That's actually pretty cool. Nick, the German police busted in with their MP5s because you locked the hostess and her date on the third floor patio because they were, I quote, being douchey. He had a sweater tied around his waist. Who does that? Double-leg takedowns from in a boxing match. You should have spoiled. Nick, after everything we've heard here, how do you explain all the stupid shit you've done? Whiskey and bad decisions? That's some good stuff. Once again, you can find their YouTube channel, Ranger Up, or go to rangerup.com and buy some of their fantastic shirts. I love that place. Always have loved them. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. And send comments by emailing F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Foppodcast.com. It's a theme. To see links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and to email us. There you'll also see links to every episode on the episode release page in my blogs on the blog page. And remember, once again, that's the easiest way to suggest segments for the show. Because you can go right there, fill out a form, send it to me, or use the email link to email me. Our next podcast will be Saturday, 17th of June, year of our Lord, 2017, since the wife's working. I'll get another one in for shits and grins. I once again want to thank everybody for listening, all those international listeners. That's freaking fantastic. I am honored that you actually clicked on this show, and it looks like a lot of you are listening to them. So I hope you get an insight to another side of politics, which you're definitely not seeing on American media, since it's all just liberal all the time, and also an insight to normal Americans. I don't think you guys have a clue about us. You either know hillbillies or the people in the cities. And I don't think, you know, you ever see the true people of America. Because we don't make the TV. We're not interesting enough. Unless I chop off my my freaking twig and take my berries and stuff them on the inside and make myself a JJ out of that, I don't make the TV. Because I'm a white male and I'm a piece of crap. Crap. Piece of crap. <laughs> piece of crap, which is, I, I don't know, that's a like a shorthand for crap? I don't know. Long story short, I hope you enjoy the show. You can also suggest, suggest segments to me. Send them on in and send an email to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast, gmail.com. I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Take time out. Enjoy your family and friends. Turn off your freaking TV and talk to each other. Disconnect. Do it. Life is too short. As we study today in our grief section, there's going to be a lot of regrets in our lives and we just don't take the time to enjoy those people before they go away. It's a short ride. Take the time. Enjoy them. I hope once again, enjoy the rest of your week. I'll talk to you Saturday. And as always, thanks for listening. 
Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor.